And the other opposite end of, of my experience was joining a networking group that's online, but it was a BIPOC majority group. They don't advertise it as that, but it was very visibly obvious that it was BIPOC majority. And the impact it had on me and my business was just, it was life-changing. Like I realized that it was not, it wasn't that I had a problem with, you know, my own security and who I was. It was just that I didn't feel safe to be who I was in that room, um, in person networking that I was talking about. Because in this online networking group, I felt at home in, in showing up as me talking like, you know, like I normally talk. Um, and dressing the way that I normally dress. And it led me to making this business decision before the program where I declared myself as an anti-oppressive marketer. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you uncover the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. In episode 45, I talked about common factors that influence your customer's success. So if you didn't catch that episode, definitely go back and listen. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. But I bring that up because today's episode talks about a solution to this problem of when your customer's differences negatively impact their success with the products, services, and experiences you offer. So today we're gonna walk through one way that you can proactively level the playing field to ensure more of the people you serve, especially those with differences, achieve success with the problem that you help them solve. Remember, we can't look at our customers in a vacuum and think that the only factors influencing their success are our products. Society and the good, the bad, and everything in between associated with it plays a big role. But as brands and business leaders, we have the power to not only acknowledge the role external factors play in the experience and success, of the people we serve, but to also actually do something about it to create positive change. That's why I was so thrilled about the conversation with today's guest, Natalia Sanyal, an anti-oppressive copywriter and brand messaging strategist. She recently implemented a new program that she designed specifically with BIPOC or Black, Indigenous, and People of Color in mind. I feel confident that lots of ideas and things to think about will come about for you as a result of listening to this convo. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Natalia. 
Hello, Natalia. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to chat with you. I think this is going to be a really hot topic of conversation. So um, I'm excited to dig in. Before we do that, tell the people who are you and what do you do? So my name is Natalia. I am an anti-oppressive copywriter and brand messaging strategist. I teach high integrity personal brands to use marketing as a force for good so that it works for business without causing harm to humanity and to themselves. Nice. What exactly is anti-oppressive copy? Like why, why is that even needed? Is copy in general oppressive? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I, so I've been in copy for a while, copywriting, um, and it was always the job that was paying the bills, but felt a little out of alignment with my values. And that's because copywriting frameworks and marketing in general was designed to grow businesses, right? And when we're making marketing decisions, there's rarely a conversation about the impact on humanity in those conversations. And marketing is designed to get people to take action without sometimes, you know, it can be very manipulative. Um, there's psychology involved. And there's nothing inherently wrong with leveraging psychology, but, you know, it gets to be a problem when you are taking away your customer's agency in being able to make a, an informed purchase decision, or you are purposely causing anxiety so that they push the, the buy now button before they have a chance to really think about it. So yeah, just in general with the language that is used in copywriting, the, the frameworks that are used as well, it can be very oppressive. Okay. I, I've seen that and I've seen more people talk about um, trying to do like an ethical marketing. I think some people might refer mm -hmm. to it, but just trying to get away yeah. from exactly what you said in terms of trying to make sure that you're giving people the information that they need to buy without that pressure, I think, that people sometimes feel is manipulative. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. There's that, there's that, that's like a, a huge part of it. And then there's also just considering things like, the images that we use in our marketing, um, you know, lack of representation also has an impact. Besides the language that we're using, the the people that we're centering, the people that we're talking to is typically not BIPOC people. And so there are so many angles. And I purposely, I thought about using the word ethical and I don't have anything against that word, but I wanted to be even more straight up about it and call it anti-oppressive because I do think that many of the frameworks, formulas, and best practices of marketing are oppressive. Totally understood. Um, clarity is key, right? So <laughs> can, can you tell me about experiences that you've had where you've been the only one or one of a few people who were like you in a room in a professional setting? Yeah, so there are two that stand out in my mind. One was remote and one was in person. And um, the remote one was uh, a remote contract that I had and I was a freelancer. And on the Zoom calls, like Zoom calls were filled with, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, it just had, there was one other BIPOC on the team. Other than that, that was it. It was a very, I didn't even realize the impact that it was having on me until after I left. Okay. But during that time, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was part of the team. I think it was an added level of, you know, everyone else was an employee and I was a freelancer. And then on top of that, 
not feeling like I had, just feeling like an outsider on the Zoom calls. Was there anything in particular that they did to make you feel like an outsider or? You know what it was, it, and there was nothing that I would say was, most of the people were wonderful. Um, this was also 2020. Yeah. So it was an interesting time to be the only one in the room that is BIPOC. Uh, I think it would have been very different if it was before 2020. Right. And the other experience that I'm going to talk about was before 2020. So, so this time, I think it worked out in my favor because people were a lot more conscious of what they were saying when I was in the room. And it was like slightly awkward <laughs> because of that, because they were being very careful of what they were saying. So nobody was offensive, but I just, I could tell they were being careful with what they were saying um, and the topics that were, that we were discussing. And I would be the one who would raise concern for, you know, marketing materials that would potentially cause harm to the audience. When I would raise that concern, just like seeing their body language and I could just read their energy that there was this like awkwardness and not knowing how to handle the situation, considering everything that was going on in the world at the time. Yeah. I can imagine that like, even though people don't necessarily feel like their energy is impacting others, or even if they might not feel like they're treating anyone differently, mm -hmm. there is like this sense of sometimes I do feel different and I don't know why, like I don't yeah. feel included. And did that impact your behavior? Like, did you mm. feel like you ever needed to adapt or adjust your behavior because of that sort of, I don't quite belong with this crew, like something right. is different here? Um, there is, there was a funny moment. I mean, again, I think it would have been really different if I was in the room before 2020 because the dynamic shifted a lot. And I felt like it was working in my favor for the first time. But I remember having a conversation with a colleague of mine who's not BIPOC. And um, I just talked about my name and how my name is pronounced Natalia. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can't say that because they don't, English language doesn't have that sound T in it. So they will say Natalia, which I avoid saying my name because it just feels weird for me to say it that way, because that's not my name. I'm okay with other people saying it, but we had that conversation and we were just, I was just talking about that story. And then next thing I knew there was a, an announcement within the department, which was a, a big department, letting them know that this is how you pronounce Natalia's name. Please do not. Say. And I didn't ask for that. <laughs> I didn't ask for that announcement. And I know it came from a good place. It was, it was funny, but also right kind of embarrassing and like I didn't want all that attention and then the next few zoom calls was everybody just trying to say my name for the first 10 minutes <laughs> and yeah so that was it was endearing but also unwanted <laughs> um, yeah so those those kind of things were happening yeah um, yeah yeah and I guess sometimes people don't realize even when their heart and the intent is in the right place yeah it can still have a less than optimal impact on other people so it's yes it's it's important to really like put yourself to practice empathy right and put yourself yes. in the shoes of the other person to think more broadly beyond your intent whenever you're yeah. doing something right? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you that in particular is because I think the experience of being the only one in the room 
um, or one of the few in the room, particularly for underrepresented and underserved communities, is very common, mm -hmm. um, both as talent and often sometimes as the customer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people are very comfortable with that and other times they're not. But sometimes there is like that invisible or unseen but felt present toll mm -hmm. that takes on you. So yeah. recently you launched a new group program yeah. that looked super cool and that you declared through the marketing of it that it was going to be a BIPOC majority cohort. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you did that? Because I was like, what? Mm. This is like shaking things up, but mm. I loved it. So yeah, I want to hear more about it. <laughs> okay. okay. So I'm going to tell you why I made that decision. And part of that was because of the, the second um, experience I was going to talk about where I was the only one in the room. I was the customer in this case. It was a professional networking okay. space and it was in-person networking. It was about 100 people and there were maybe five BIPOC. I can only recall three, but there are probably, you know, maybe a couple others um, and majority um, white men made up the rest of the people in the room. And I was in there for two years. And that was an experience before 2020, where I felt like I had a whole identity crisis. Like I could not be myself. I could not dress like myself. I couldn't act like myself. And I had no idea it was because of that reason. I thought that, oh, okay, this is just part of being in business. This is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And um, I thought I had to work on like my security in who I am and um, being able to just, you know, not feel like I had to prove myself in that room. So that was a really negative experience. <laughs> and I did not enjoy a minute of it. Um, finally got myself to leave after two years. And when I was creating this program, I thought about that because my program has a community component. So this is not like a DIY program. The, the most value you're going to get from it is the community. And I wanted it to be a community where there's connection and transformation. And I don't think that you can get that when you are the only one in the room or the minority. And the other opposite end of, of my experience was joining a networking group that's online, but it was a BIPOC majority group. They don't advertise it as that, but it was very visibly obvious that it was BIPOC majority. And the impact it had on me and my business was just, it was life-changing. Like I realized that it was not, it wasn't that I had a problem with, you know, my own security and who I was. It was just that I didn't feel safe to be who I was in that room, um, in-person networking that I was talking about. Because in this online networking group, I felt at home in, in showing up as me talking like, you know, like I normally talk. Um, and dressing the way that I normally dress. And it led me to making this business decision before the program where I declared myself as an anti-oppressive marketer. I did not have the guts to do that. I've been wanting to do that for a really long time, yeah. but I didn't have the guts to do it. And it was still really nerve wracking when I did that. But the only reason I could do it was because I was in a room with a lot of people who were BIPOC, who I felt like I was going to be okay. You know, if I decided that I was only going to work with people who understood and valued this. You felt like you belonged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a huge transformation. And the quality of relationships I have made in that group, 
I'd only been in there for two months versus the two years in the other group where I had no connections. Oh, that's a lie. I made one, one really good friend. Um, but the majority of, you know, those people in the room were total strangers and I did not connect with them. There was no transformation. So I wanted to create a program that was a lot more like my positive experience. And I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I was not the minority in the room. So I launched my program. Right. And then I announced like maybe halfway through the launch that I'm going to make this a BIPOC majority. Again, super nervous, super nervous to announce that. Um, But I'm really glad that I did. What was the response to it? I got a lot of support. Both from BIPOC and non-BIPOC people. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, Nothing but positive responses came in. I have noticed that the majority of the responses I got were from um, white people. Lots of really kind comments and DMs and saying, you know, people saying that this makes them want to join the program even more. It's an added value for them. I didn't get as many comments from BIPOC. I did, but just there was there was quite a big difference. And I have no idea if that even means anything. But all the comments from both BIPOC and white were really positive. And um, there was a lot of, yeah, just encouragement, support and um, gratitude. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Can you tell a difference in the way people are interacting in the program based upon this sort of flip in the mix mm-hmm. that you have there? Oh my gosh, yes. There was a moment. So my program is is still, you know, in the early days. It's been just about 10 days. It's an eight-week program. And um, there was a moment where a BIPOC member wrote a post about how um, it was hard to build a personal brand because they don't feel like they can, you know, fully be themselves because it feels like a risk. Um, from a business perspective, and I'm sure from other perspectives as well. And I was just really happy to see that comment because I know that there is no way that that comment would ha- that conversation would have started in a space where they were the only one. Yeah, they would not have felt safe enough to talk about that. Like there wouldn't even be any reason for them to talk about it because no one can even relate to what they're saying. So. Yeah, I I was really happy to see that. And um, I hope there's a lot more of that that happens as the program continues. So those are those are the kind of things that I'm kind of like measuring impact on as far as this decision to see, you know, what's working and what maybe isn't. Yeah. 
Did you get any negative feedback? Like, did anybody say anything or did you hear any mumblings of people who were like, what are you doing? Or why is this even necessary? Like, did you get any responses like that? No, I would be really surprised if I did. No, I did not get any negative responses. Um, that would be surprising because I mean, but there are some things that happen that are very surprising these days. Um, right. No, I haven't had any responses from that that were negative. I did put in my application form. Um, one of the questions that you have to answer is fill in the blanks and it's blank lives matter. Um, and if you get that question wrong, then you're not getting into the program. And I actually didn't expect people to get that wrong. And I definitely got some wrong answers. <laughs> on that um really but yes i did which is really surprising just considering you know if you go through my website and my linkedin which i am assuming you will do before you sign up for a program i i just don't uh, it's surprising to know that people would read all of that and still not know the answer to that question <laughs> so that was more of a, a negative like I guess not really a resp yeah negative response to that um maybe unintentional but not to the actual like making it BIPOC majority. Got it. So I think that there are a lot of people who are unaware, oblivious to the fact that of the number of spaces that are created specifically for people who are from underrepresented groups. So I think most people know there are HBCUs. I went to an HBCU, Historically Black College and University, mm -hmm. which were created out of necessity. But it was wonderful to go to a university where pretty much everybody looked like me. The professors looked like me. And it was a completely, like you said, it was a transformational experience because you are able to talk about things as it relates to race and bring them front and center, but you can also forget about them at the same time, right? Mm, because yeah. that's kind of not part of the equation. Like it's, it's, it's the benefit of both, right? Yeah. But, um, but beyond like in a university setting, there are a number of professional organizations. If you think about like, there's the, the National Association of Accountants, but then there's like NABA, National Association of Black Accountants. Okay. There's a National Medical Association. Then there's like the National National Black Medical Association, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's not just for Black people. That's for a lot of different um, ethnicities. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine there are plenty of those from a gender standpoint. And whenever I talk to people about these types of organizations, sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, like they had no idea that some of these even existed. And sometimes I respond back, I'm like, well, okay, well, you probably wouldn't because it's not an organization that you would join. But I right. think that it's sometimes people don't necessarily understand why people flock to those. And it doesn't always have to be a professional mm. organization. Like sometimes there are, like you went to that networking organization that was very much BIPOC majority. You see conferences that aren't promoted in such a way, like you said, like that organization wasn't, but it's clear everybody in the room is Latino or everybody in the room is black or yeah. um, everyone is from, you know, some type of underrepresented group because there is a lot of times where you just need to be with people who get what you're going through and who understand. Yeah. So I think that it's not as uncommon as people might think, but now I think more and more mm. people, we should start thinking about how we can use this into product development mm -hmm. and experience development on a regular basis. Yeah. 
So along those lines, when would you recommend that brands should consider creating products, services, or experiences that are designed specifically for someone who is part of an underrepresented and underserved community? So definitely if you're creating some sort of a shared space, like a community, whether it's online or offline, I would consider that. Another thing to look out for is comments on a brand's like social media. People will comment and say, like, for example, if it's a retail store that they don't see sizes that are made for them or they don't see mannequins that look like them, uh, you know, or models in their ads. When you see comments like that, like that's an indication that your audience is is definitely it's worth um, exploring creating products and services or offerings that are catering to them. Well, if you just consider how your offering is impacting other identities and if their experience of your offer is going to be different because they have um, a different lens or different challenges, then you need to solve for those. And I feel like the default is non-BIPOC. And maybe this should just be like a thing that we all do, <laughs> no matter what our products and services are, you know, um, because, yeah, it is it is going to be different. Like if you are a BIPOC person or um, again, with the gender conversation, there's there's those considerations as well. And you need to ask yourself, like, how are how are they going to engage with my offering? Um, and what are some challenges that they might have that I need to solve for? Yeah. So what I what I'm hearing you say is like they need to have a deep enough degree of intimacy with the customers that they're serving to understand that everybody's experience as a consumer might not be the same. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand how it's different and then solve for that difference within the experience you're delivering. Yeah. And I think it's tricky because if you have an offer and someone sees your offer and it doesn't, it doesn't ring true for them because they know that it wasn't made for them, they're not necessarily going to reach out. There's going to be a lot of people who are just going to, you know, walk away and not say anything. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what the answer is there, but being the type of brand that makes it really easy to interact with you in a way that is is transparent and honest uh, will go a long way. If people can feel comfortable with you enough to say like, hey, I didn't feel seen or considered in your offer. Um, and I just wanted to let you know, I think that that's I think that that's, you know, like really a, a humane way of doing business and creating product. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes it might even be helpful to let people know, because you, you talked earlier about creating a safe space and people mm -hmm. feeling that degree of safety to bring themselves to fully to whatever the situation is as, as in, in that professional setting. I think that even sometimes it can be really helpful or beneficial, let's say if it's a group program or, or some type of thing, to make sure that it is proactively acknowledged that sometimes people have different experiences. Mm, yeah. So that instead of putting a burden on someone to have to come and make you aware or the business aware or the brand aware of an experience that causes them harm in some way or isn't fair or just or makes them not quite feel as comfortable, if you can proactively acknowledge that sometimes things these things happen, we don't want to stand for them. We don't want you to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So 
mm-hmm. let us know or, you know, help us do better. Like, I think sometimes even that acknowledgement from yeah. the leader or the brand that, you know, the experiences could be different, yes. could help create that safety um, and create a space where people know, you know, you're safe here <laughs> or right. we're trying to create yeah. something that that works well for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I love that. All right. Um, do you have any watch outs or best practices that you've identified for people in terms of like if they want to create or deliver product services and experiences that are just specifically designed for underrepresented consumers as a lead consumer? Uh, so I'm learning as I go here because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this was a decision that I made halfway through my launch. Um, but one thing I would say is consider the distribution of that majority. So 51% majority is going to feel very different from like an 80% majority, right? So there's that, like decide um, what that number needs to be to make the impact. Okay. And another thing I'm doing now and I'm going to continue to do as I grow this program is to have conversations with the group that I'm hoping that they feel um, like this is a space that is for them. Have conversations, follow up conversations with them. Um, and you could make them uh, an anonymous form so that it could be truly honest and candid, or you can have like, you know, one-on-one calls with them and ask them what could be improved in the process. And, um, and that should be like an ongoing thing. So I think that actually talking to the group that you want to serve is, is also really helpful, but yeah, that and the, the, how much of a majority I think would make a difference. Where can people find you if they want to follow you and your work? I am on LinkedIn. Uh, that's pretty much the only platform. I also have a website. It's nataliasanyal.com. Um, and LinkedIn is my name as well. Nice. Well, this has been super fun. Like I said, I was fascinated whenever I saw this and I was like, I want to talk to her more to dig in because I think this is something that we should be considering more, more business owners should be considering this because there are so many especially community-based offers, community-based programs. And as more brands are trying to connect in person with others, Mm -hmm. it's just having this awareness of the type of space that you're curating and making sure that it's a welcoming one for all is essential. Yeah, I agree. Any parting words of wisdom? Um, uh, yeah, I think that it's gonna, if you're gonna make this decision, it's going to feel like a risk. It's gonna feel like you're, you know, putting money on the table because I mean, for me, I had way more white applicants in the program than BIPOC. And that's part of what comes with this territory and this decision. And you need to be super strong in your why to be able to navigate that and um, stick to, yeah, stick to the impact that you want to have, regardless of, of the risks that are involved with that from a business perspective. Natalia, thank you so much for uh, stopping by and having this really important conversation with me. You said my name right. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> I really appreciate that. I was trying to get it. I was trying. That was great. I loved it. Said from someone who also has had many people for the majority of my life say my name incorrectly. Uh-huh. My name is Sonia. How do they say it normally? And growing up in Florida, mm-hmm. most people say Sonia. Yeah, Sonia. Yeah. And okay. um, 
there and and i think it's a very southern thing mm. so i remember like correcting people correcting people for so much of my yeah, life me and then even there were people who were super close to me and then they just they would say it sonia sonia and then it would just go back to sonia like yeah. they, they had no idea of the difference so yeah yeah oh well i appreciate that story and i definitely feel seen thank you <laughs> and i know that not everybody can say it so thank you for trying and you got it right so that was great and thanks for having me on this was a great conversation it's been a pleasure <laughs> Natalia had so many cool things to share, and I really love what she's doing with her program. Since we sat down for this chat, she's completed the initial cohort of her program and is already enrolling another that will once again be a BIPOC majority. Here's what she had to say about the feedback she received about the first cohort of her program. She said everyone who signed up and applied BIPOC and white said that it was one of the deciding factors for them. I get lots of words of appreciation from BIPOC in my LinkedIn DMs in between cohorts. They feel seen. And as I was poking around on Natalia's LinkedIn as she's promoting her new cohort of the program, I came across this comment from someone who's actually considering joining her program that I thought was interesting that I wanted to share with you. So here's what they said. As someone who has stayed away from group context because of what feels like inevitable friction from other group members, it made me feel like it would be a safer space because of that tangible intentionality. So clearly, designing experiences specifically with your underrepresented and underserved consumers in mind, and even as a lead consumer, is smart business that has the power to make a big impact for them. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Have you ever had an experience that was designed specifically for you and a point of difference that you had? If so, what was the experience like for you? How did it make you feel? And did it impact the degree of success you were able to achieve in any way? Inquiring minds want to know. And when I say inquiring minds, I definitely mean me. <laughs> As mentioned, my experience going to an HBCU was transformational. And I feel strongly that I wouldn't be here chatting with you today had I went to a university where I was in the minority. So what I'd like you to do as a result of this conversation is to think hard about the products, services, and experiences you offer and brainstorm a few ways where you could create a majority environment for people who are traditionally part of the minority. One other resource I'd like to point you to to help ground you in this area is episode 38, part of the Listen to Them Black History Month series. It's titled, Black Women Are Used to Being the Only Ones in the Room in Professional Settings. Here's what it's like. Now, the more you know and understand the experiences of the people you serve, the easier it becomes to develop solutions that make them feel like they belong with you. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you liked it, please do share it with a friend, colleague, or with your network, and we can get more people traveling on this inclusion and belonging train with us. And if you'd like to go deeper, head on over to inclusionandmarketing.com and get signed up for the weekly inclusion and marketing newsletter. There you'll get more insights, examples, current events, and resources to help you build an inclusive brand. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.